Before my wife and I started dating, we dated each other's friends. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily in that way, but, but after we weren't dating those friends, we were spending a lot of time together, but, but just as friends. Uh, and by that I mean I was scared to tell her how I really felt, and she assumed that if we were dating, I would be just like her dumb ex-boyfriend, slash my best friend. <laughs> they, they were the same person. <laughs> just so you know, my best friend and her ex-boyfriend. And, and this makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, we can't help it. We all carry our life experiences, both the, the good and the bad with us, and those parts of our story continue to impact and influence how we see the world uh, and, and how we see relationships. Are, are you with me? Eventually, she figured out that I wasn't like her dumb ex-boyfriend, just to be clear. So, God, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years within a culture that worshipped many gods. 400 years being oppressed by Pharaoh, who himself was considered divine, who was considered a god. So, when God comes to rescue them from slavery... They're not exactly sure who this God is. In, in fact, when, when God tells Moses to go to Egypt to liberate my people, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say, and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Moses doesn't know this God, and Moses assumes that most of the people don't remember this God either. So in many ways, this is sort of like a, a new relationship. God's rescue was all kinds of exciting, followed by an elopement or marriage in the desert at Mount Sinai when God uh, made a covenant with his people, saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is sort of like running off to Las Vegas to get married. But then, all that, um, after all that, they had, to, they had to figure out how to live together. And, and truth be told, they, they didn't know this God all that well. So, so what did they do? I, I mean, what do we do? Well, like any of us, they carried their past experiences and relationships with them into their experiences and understanding of God, which is perhaps why there are times in the Bible when God is portrayed as dangerous, violent, and oppressive. And yet, as, as God remains close and faithful, there are hints and glimpses that will have us saying, oh, maybe this God isn't like that at all. Maybe this God is different. So let's see what, what this might look like in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 1. Uh, reading verses 1 through 3, and then we'll, we'll jump ahead to verse 48. So the Lord spoke to Moses in the, in the wilderness of Sinai, 
in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So it's just a year, really, since they've been set free. And God said to them, take a census of the whole congregation of Israelites in their clans by ancestral houses according to the number of names. Every male, one by one, from 20 years old and upward, everyone in Israel able to go to war. You and Aaron shall enroll them company by company. So, so let's just take a, a, a quick break. Here is the first hint that it's time for these people to see a, a marriage and family therapist, at least when it comes to their relationship with God. They've just escaped from Egypt, where they were oppressed by Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, whose power was revealed primarily through war. <laughs> They have been set free. They can be whoever they want to be. But here, they're organizing themselves for war because is there another way? Well, later in the Bible, we'll hear that as they reflect back upon this story, that putting your trust in the weapons of war is foolish and that it's absolutely nothing like trusting God. So even though we humans can, can get God wrong, and that that's reflected even here in the Bible, God's caring presence is inviting us to keep discovering something new and good about God's character. In other words, the Bible isn't perfect, at least in the way that we might define perfection. Are you okay? <laughs> but the good news is, is that God never needed perfect people or, or perfect things to reveal his presence and his love in the world. Do I need to say more about this? <laughs> okay, my wife wants me to say it again and I should probably listen to her. The Bible isn't perfect, at least in the way that we might define perfection. But the good news is that God never needed perfect people or perfect things to reveal his love and his presence in the world. We'll talk more about this as time goes on, maybe next week. So let's continue reading, verse 48. The Lord had said to Moses, only the tribe of Levi you shall not enroll, don't count them yet, and, and you shall not take a census of them with the other Israelites, do you see why this is called the Book of Numbers? Uh, just the first four chapters is about counting. Um, but but the, the, um, the Jewish name for this book is actually, comes from the first Hebrew word of, of, of this book, which is uh, in the wilderness. So that sounds like a book that I would, I would rather pick up. And, and we'll, we'll get there. So, so rather, God says, you should appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the covenant, over this, this place where God's presence is, and over all its equipment and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its equipment, and they shall tend it and shall camp around the tabernacle, creating like a, a circle 
distance from the rest of, of the people. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is pitched, the Levites will set it up. And anyone else who comes near shall be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, now I've said this before, and, and I believe this even as we read this, that this is the word of the Lord, but there are times when we respond and our punctuation changes. This is the word of the Lord, exclamation point. We fully believe this. This is the word of the Lord, period. It's, yeah. Or this is the word of the Lord? It's okay. Our honest response to Scripture is actually one of the most important ways that Scripture and God's Spirit speaks to us and, and to our world. So anyone who comes near God's presence in the tabernacle will be put to death. Wait, what? Why? Obviously, it's because God is dangerous. Or maybe we should say that the people assume that God is dangerous because of, well, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And just, just think about all the, the plots of any movie, any movie that involves e Egyptian mummies, right? A, a librarian and a treasure hunter find a tomb that has a book which unleashes a curse and a mummy which unleashes 10 plagues on the world. They have to fight for their lives and save the world, which is all kinds of exciting, so naturally they fall in love. And then in the sequel to the movie, movie they're already married. But, but once the adrenaline wears off, they have to wonder, wait, who is this person again? Do I even know you? Why don't you pick up your socks? Just, just as an example. <laughs> Obviously, this is all a Hollywood storytelling and, and drama. But, but in the ancient world, interacting with the gods was dangerous business. Encroaching upon sacred spaces like the tombs of the pharaoh came with all kinds of, of warnings and, and threats. For, for example, this one inscribed in a tomb, Cursed be those who disturb the rest of a pharaoh. They that shall break the seal of this tomb shall meet death by a disease that no doctor can diagnose. No, sounds terrible. Uh, another curse reads, uh, to those who enter this tomb unclean or impure, may the crocodile be against them in the water and the snake against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in the water and the scorpion on land. So, why place guards around God's presence in the tabernacle? Well, verse 53, to protect the people from God's wrath. And then in, in chapter 9, so that no plague will strike the people when they go near the sanctuary or, or the presence of God. Of Of course. Of course, within a culture that was constantly trying to appease the angry and unpredictable gods, why would this God be any different? He's obviously going to be the same as, as all those dumb ex-gods that, that we had in Egypt. 
But, but to be clear, considering the larger story for both Jews and Christians, this is not actually God's character. It's just that the people, like all of us, come with all kinds of baggage that influences the way we see the world and the way that we understand God. I mean, how about you? Does God seem dangerous? Has God ever felt dangerous? Well, early on in this story, in this new life that they're creating, God remains at a safe distance. God's presence is at the top of a mountain while the people are below. And when God speaks to the people, God does throw through, through leaders who the people know and trust. And then the tabernacle is built so that, that everyone can know that God is with them wherever they go, but also to contain God's presence. God limits his presence for a people who assume that he is dangerous. I would say that even though the people and the Bible are, are getting God wrong, God is honoring them and the impact of their pain and trauma. Just like Jesus, God takes on the sins and the wounds of the world upon himself as a way of honoring our experiences of pain and opening us up to ways of healing. So I once volunteered with a Christian organization that works to, to rescue slaves from around the world. Men, women, and children who are trapped and forced to work in, in brick factories and, and rice mills and in, in brothels. And when the, the slaves are rescued, they provide um, aftercare services and homes where they can, can be safe and can begin to recover and, and to develop job skills so that they can support themselves and their families and don't end up, again, trapped in, in slavery. And, and as a, a Christian nonprofit, pastors like myself would preach at churches to bring awareness to the reality of modern-day slavery and to the work, work that they were doing. And, and when you talk to Christians about this, naturally the, the question that comes up over and over again is, well, are you telling them, the, the people that you rescue, are you telling them about Jesus? How many people are becoming Christians because of, of the work that you do? And, and incredibly, the response from this Christian organization was, we don't tell them about Jesus. Wait, wait what? Instead, we would say, these men, women, and children are victims of abusive power. And as the people who helped rescue them we realize that we are now in a position of significant power and influence on their lives. And the last thing that they need is for us to misuse or abuse our power for our purposes. Wow, I mean, that's, that's not a typical answer, is it? You see, healing our wounds, whatever they may be, can't be ordered or dictated or forced upon us from above. Healing instead comes from below, when those who have been pushed down again and again and again are lifted up. 
When those who are hungry and thirsty are giving something to eat and something to drink, healing comes when we welcome the outsider and visit those who are ignored. Perhaps this is why God doesn't just say, count everyone, just give me a number. Instead, the words that we translate as take a census in Hebrew is literally lift up each head. Sure, count them, but only because each person matters. Count them, but not from above or not from a distance. Instead, lift up each head. Look into their eyes. You count. You matter. You count. You matter. There's obviously so much more to say about about all of this, and we'll, we'll continue this conversation next week. But, but let me tell you something that I'm, I'm probably not supposed to tell you. If God feels dangerous to you, if God seems angry and judgmental, or, or maybe worse, it's okay if you need distance from God. It's okay to take a Sunday off from church. It's okay to not read the Bible for a while. It's okay to not pray. It's okay to set good things aside if those good things have always felt like a demand from a dangerous God. It's okay. Setting any of those things aside, any of those good things, or or giving yourself distance from God won't keep God from loving you and letting you know that you count. Setting any of those good things aside won't keep God from letting you know that you matter. If if we are to gather together, as, as I once heard another pastor say, let it be because we don't need to gather in order to be loved. If we are going to read the Bible, let it be because we don't need to read the Bible to be loved. If we're going to be generous, if we're going to pray, let it be because we don't need to be generous and we don't need to pray in order to be loved. God will give us the distance that we need to heal, but it won't keep him from letting us know that we're loved and that we count. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for welcoming us as we are with our story as honest and as real as it is, with all all the good things that we bring and, and all the baggage and wounds that we bring as well. We pray that your spirit would heal, heal those wounds and invite us to discover a, a new, uh, a new and, and good and more beautiful understanding of who you are. We pray that you would remind us again and again that we are loved and that you would lift up our heads in a world where, where we, we so often want to hang our heads low. We pray that you would lift up our heads and let us know that we count, that everyone counts, that, that everyone matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.